News Podcast. This is episode number 20 of the Global Geek News Podcast. As always, I am your host, Jeremy Bray, better known as PC Nerd 37 or you can always drop the 37 and just call me PC Nerd. That's what most people do. And as always, I am alongside my co-host, Wesley Faulkner. How's it going, Wesley? Hey, Jeremy. Things are going great. I'm happy that it's Wednesday and the week's almost over. Yeah, tell me about it. This is been a little bit more of an exciting week that I want to have. Nothing like getting threatened to be killed, so yeah, you never know. Ooh, I haven't heard that story. Yeah, well, yesterday at work, for those that don't know, I work at a salvage yard. Um, There was this truck that was parked out at the end of the, or out in the street in front of the parking lot. We're the only one on the street. There are no other businesses along the street. And I just sat there and watched them because they weren't doing anything, weren't going anywhere. So I, after they slowly started to drive off, I figured maybe they would be stopping and getting out and wandering around or something. So I went and slowly followed them down the street to find them jump out and start pulling parts off of the Jeep. Well, I figured they were just there stealing parts because that tends to happen fairly often. So I went to go chase them off and told them that they were trespassing that I was going to call the sheriff if they didn't get lost. Well, he grabbed a tire iron and threatened to pretty much kill me if I didn't leave him alone, that supposedly he had talked to the owner, which it turned out the owner, my grandpa, didn't bother to mention to me that these people were supposed to be coming and pulling parts. So, that was my near brush with death. Oh, wow. Yeah, or at least a near brush with a whole bunch of owies. Yeah, I don't think I'd want to meet the other end of that tire iron, I don't think. That wouldn't have been too fun. Yeah. But, well, I, I, that's a rougher week than I've had so far. And it's only Wednesday. Yeah, it's not a week I care to repeat, but at least I got to have Buffalo Wild Wings for lunch today, and that's all that matters. So. <laughs> yeah, that makes it all better. Yeah, always does. But anyway, I'd say we've got plenty of show to get to. Actually, a couple fewer stories than last week, just because we kind of went a little over on time last week. So I dropped two stories off and see just kind of where that lands us. But anyway, let's go ahead and just dive right into the first story. Uh, DICE is showing a 45% drop in tech jobs. Dice. Blockbuster is... Oh, we're not doing the... Okay, no. let's just jump in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. A little bit of a change. A lot of it's for editing I do afterwards. I'm sure most people notice it later on. But, yeah, just doing a little bit of a change just to make editing a whole lot easier for me and faster so I can get the show up into and at a more reasonable time. But, anyway... Apparently, DICE, which I believe is a technology employment site for people to post job listings and people looking for jobs and stuff, and apparently job listings have dropped 35% for tech jobs year as of yeah, think, March in terms of year over year. I think it's, a, it's, it's obvious why it's down. It's because that um, it's currently... Uh, the market's being flooded by all these 
unemployed uh, uh, these unemployed people who need jobs in the tech industry, and it's a buyer's market, as they say. Um, why why would I spend money to post my job on Dice when people are knocking on my door throwing resumes at me? I think that it's not needed at this time because the people who are very competent and and very integral to the company are not leaving the company to try to look for better jobs because they value security instead of uh, being thrown in the pool. So the people who are getting laid off or the people uh, who who are in the job pool are probably the, the bottom 10%, not the top 10% of the people who are getting laid off. And so less of the important jobs are in the pool and the ones that are unimportant most likely they're getting resumes thrown at them and so they don't have to go to an agency to try to look for people. Yeah, that's one of the things I seem to notice is basically all the companies now have their pick of the best people because a lot of them have been laid off and it's real hard to find jobs and everything. That's why, for those that don't know, I do a lot of programming stuff. I That's why I haven't really been looking for a job and I've been kind of starting to do some of my own stuff. That's just because right now there's so much competition for so few jobs, considering the fact that I haven't finished college, I have minimal real-world experience and whatnot. I, there's pretty much everybody's far more qualified than I am for any of this stuff. Yeah, it's very competitive. Everyone knows someone who needs a job, um, so if... If I know if a position came up in my company, I would spread the word and wouldn't, and no one would need to go to Dice to look for it. And I'm sure someone in my immediate network would be able to uh, fulfill that the job requirements and get hired. So I'm not surprised by the listing notice. I'm just surprised that this is an actual story. Um, that that it seems like a surprise. I mean, everyone's hurting. I'm guessing all listings across the board, not just tech jobs, uh, are, are feeling the pain. Well, apparently there are some areas that are getting hurt worse than others. Silicon Valley, I guess, the available jobs are down 57.7% year over year. Chicago and Boston are down 553 So you can tell in, in some of these more technology-focused cities that there's they're being hurt more than some of the other areas that aren't so focused on it. Mm-hmm. But speaking of which, um, I kind of have like a little startup thing going, so if anybody is a Silverlight programmer, please shoot me an email, pcnerd37 at globalgeeknews.com. Anyway, that's my short little plug there, at least for now. Well, you got to give us a little bit of a tease. Where is this heading? Is this a web app or uh, this, uh, desktop only? Web service, really. Think okay. um, SourceForge, but exclusively for mobile apps, and it's built more on collaboration than than what SourceForge is. Nice, nice. So that, that's interesting. A short description of it, anyway. I've I've got it all kind of worked out in my head, and I'm working on trying to get these skills to get at least some kind of a prototype going since I don't seem to be finding much in the way of programmers willing to help or at least those that are willing to help that don't want to be that are 
don't have to be paid for their work just because I have no money right. at this point. That, that's, that's all. Kinda, it's all about collaboration. Yeah, that's why I'm trying to bulk up on some. This is why I'm trying to figure out Silverlight. I got some Silverlight books on my Kindle now to try and figure it out a little bit myself so I can maybe get like a prototype going, show it to some angel investors, something like that, so I can get some money to hire some programmers. But, alright. Anyway, that's... Talking about money, looks like Blockbuster won't get enough money to even stay in business. Yeah, this by no means comes as any surprise to me. I, I knew they'd be gone within the next two or three years, but I figured... But when I saw this story, it seems like that's going to happen a whole lot sooner than what I expected. But apparently they uh, disclosed to the SEC that they have a substantial doubt that they'll be able to pay back a $250 million loan that is about the only thing propping Blockbuster up at this point. So I wouldn't be surprised to see him out of the business by year's end. I can't I can't see why they lasted this long. Even when I did go to brick and mortar stores to do rentals, I chose Hollywood Video over Blockbuster because of their return fee. And then they did the thing where they said no late fee. Um and the and you if you waited long enough, they would just charge you for the whole movie. <laughs> and so their no late fees still wasn't no late fees. Uh, they 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 did the whole thing where the, they did a Netflix competitor and where you can get a movie and then get a free movie if you return to the store and they stop that. They, they, they've done a lot of things to try to piss people off and not choose to go to Blockbuster. And I say good riddance. Yeah, I've, I've been using Netflix for several months now and I love it. Before I started using Netflix, I don't think I've even stepped foot in a rental store since maybe my freshman year of high school, something like that, when we used to have a Hastings here that, for some idiotic reason, got closed down because of a dispute with its landlord, but I stopped using Blockbuster, I was, I'm sure I was in middle school when I stopped using them after I returned a movie on time and still ended up with like $45 in late fees or something like that, just trying to rip me off. Yeah, I've seen. I've had a couple times where I've read movies, and they say they can't find it, uh, and, and and they seem very devious. Uh, reminds me of what AOL used to do, where um, they try to do everything to keep you, and then try to charge you extra. The only thing that really saddens me about this is that um, this is going to be yet another store that's going to be empty. Uh, I'm seeing more and more stores as I drive by that are being closed down with dumpsters in front of them, uh, totally being gutted. And it's it's just another size of the, sign of the economy, but this this is not something that I'll look back on and be sad about. Yeah, around here we haven't seen too much that's actually closed down. There's Circuit City, of course, and then there's my favorite smoothie shop that's run by a friend of mine that closed down and is now officially for rent as of this week but otherwise we haven't had much of anything actually close here there's business is certainly slow for a lot of places but we haven't really had much in the way of anything major close but the town has pretty much always kind of survived on walmarts and dollar stores anyway 
Yeah, a lot of, I see a lot of chains closing. I see, I'm happy to see that a lot of local businesses are still thriving here in Austin anyway. Uh, it seems like uh, even though they're doing well, another empty building, like you mentioned, Circuit City, um, it looks like they, they're finding a second life online. Yeah, this, I don't know, this kind of surprises me a little bit, but at the same time it doesn't. Apparently, I know that it was just the Circuit City stores in the U.S. that closed. To my understanding, all of the Circuit City stores in Canada are still open, but apparently there is an image placeholder that was up on CircuitCity.com. I don't know if it actually still is or not. Let me check. But even though Circuit City's closed, apparently they're saying that CircuitCity.com is temporarily closed and that they plan to reopen the website in the coming weeks. It's kind of funny how um, Microsoft decided to go brick and mortar and Circuit City chooses to go online. (laughs) (laughs) One of the best things about Circuit City that I've used them once or twice is because you would be able to buy it online and have it shipped to the store within 20 minutes or so you could pick it up. Now that they don't have that, I don't see what they can offer over a, a Newegg or any other electronic store, or even a Best Buy online. Yeah, I, I've, I, I don't know. It, I think this could work. It seems to have worked for CompUSA ever since Tiger Direct, or I can't think of the parent company of Tiger Direct. I want to say it's Systemax that bought them out. This that seems to have worked for them to go online only so I don't I don't know if it's gonna work for Circuit City or not but as far as the order online pick it up at the store in 20 minutes I've I've never used that I don't know many people around here that ever use that but I never was one to really buy from Circuit City or off their website or anything largely because I could find it cheaper pretty much everywhere else online Plus, I've never been a big fan of paying sales tax when I don't have to. Yeah, it was one of those, um, you know, like fat wallet websites that had a deal with this coupon, you stack it on this coupon, and so that's why I used it. It was, I got a laptop bag for $15, and so it was a really good one. So that's the only reason why I used it. I don't. I didn't necessarily go to the Circuit City website and look for something. It was only because there was a deal. And the only way that I can see that this Circuit City online, new online e-commerce store works is if they become either super specialized, in which you can find a lot of things you wouldn't be able to find at a regular store, like maybe unlocked phones or maybe some Chinese cheap, competitors for iPods or something like that. They need to find a niche in order to be able to compete with the big box stores and with the established online retailers like Buy.com or even Amazon. They need to find something. I just hope that it's a different management. I hope it's a whole new management. Yeah, I I think that it's primarily going to come down to price because when you're talking online, it's pretty much just as convenient to go to Amazon as it is to Buy.com or Circuit City or CompUSA or Newegg or whatever. So the convenience factor doesn't really change much depending on where you go. But what does change is the price. And if people can just as easily go to Amazon or whatever, they're not going to mm-hmm. pay the price of Circuit City, which they're 
notorious for having extremely high prices. Right. Well, th- this reminds me of one thing that I did see. I'm not. I'm doing this straight off memory from South by Southwest. Best Buy was there, and they were doing something called, I believe, Best Buy Remix, in which they opened up the API of their website to allow vendors to embed some of their online stores into other people's application or websites. That, I thought, was very unique because I've seen several products out there that might say, like, you install an application and it says, hey, you need more RAM and be able to say, you can buy the RAM here, here are the prices. I think that'd be something that might be useful, especially if they do something uh, a la Amazon and give uh, a little kickback to the people that they get referral business uh, from. If, if they could, if they did a little referral system, just like Amazon, I think Circuit City could could actually make a name for itself online. So is this kind of like an affiliate type of deal? Just kind of like a different generation, uh, the next generation of affiliate sales, or you mean Best Buy? Yeah. I'm not sure. I, I just heard of the premise. I'm not sure what the business model is or how it's actually uh, going to work, but I can see that it it it, it could um, you know start some business models that weren't there before with an open API to someone else's store. Hmm. Uh, that certainly sounds interesting. Got some interesting things going on down there in Ox- in Austin. Speaking of which, the Time Warner cable caps. Yes, another story from Stacy Hagenbotham, who is an, from GigaOM. Uh, she's here locally, and she's an awesome reporter. Um, they're talking about how that Austin, since it's the mecca of, uh, or one of the meccas of uh, technology here in the United States, a big hub of a lot of data bandwidth and innovation, that we were, as in Austin, specifically targeted by Time Warner for their trial for their caps. Yeah, I, I can't say this surprises me at all. I think that the real test of their caps is taking it to such a tech city like Austin, and if they can make it fly there, then pretty much everybody's screwed because it'll fly everywhere. But I think this is, if this doesn't work there, I'm kind of curious to see what kind of adjustments they're going to make from this. I know they're supposed to be offering a 100 gigabyte per month tier, which who knows how much more expensive that's going to be than the 40 gigabyte tier, but I'm kind of curious to see how this changes their plans depending on what their data shows from usage in Austin. Yeah, I pay about 40 40 bucks right now, I think, for Time Warner High Speed, which is the burst of 22 megabit down, and I think it's a guaranteed 15 megabit 15 megabit down and no cap, unlimited and I think the 40 gig tier is 56 bucks so and and it's so the 100 gig is probably going to be what, higher than that, maybe what, 10 bucks higher maybe you know, yeah, 70 bucks guess. or so and, and so I don't see how this could not piss anyone off in Austin um so, as I said, there's an option of possibly moving to Earthlink. I still have not looked into that because, as I said, I'm, I'm not as concerned because I do have a two-year agreement. And so they haven't 
to my knowledge, they haven't said that people under contract for two years shouldn't be affected by this. Secondly, um, secondly, I can always uh, move to AT&T. They have the U-verse service, so I could move to AT&T and get fiber internet if, if that uh, became a possibility. Uh, and third, I could go to DSL, which will probably be the last option. But I, I don't want to spend more money for something I used to have. And I, knowing how tech-savvy Austin is, there's there's going to be a rebellion, and this will not stand, and this will not fly. This is the beachhead. <laughs> yeah, that's one of the things that really irritates me about the whole thing is all these companies, especially the ones that seem to be putting caps on them, keep upping the bandwidth that you have, yet they're placing these tiny caps so you can use, you've got uh, how many ever megabit connection, and if you actually want to use that whole thing, you're going to go way over your cap really quickly. Yeah, and once again, I still have not heard any communication from Time Warner. I've gotten a letter, haven't gotten a call, haven't gotten an email, haven't gotten anything. Well, from so, what I read, I, I, from what I, I don't know if it was I read or I heard earlier this week, if you're if you have a current contract with them like you have, you're not supposed to be affected. From what I've heard. Yes, but still, you would think they would send out a blanket letter to all their customers, regardless. Yeah, you'd you'd think so, but I don't know. I guess they pay a little bit of attention as to who's under what contracts and whoever's not under those contracts then they're going to be the ones that get screwed yeah they should this is going to get around people are going to be reporting on they should at least you know say you're under contract you're not affected this is the end of your contract you will fall under these terms after done but I guess part of this is they they keep throwing the word trial around they said hey don't worry it's just a trial it's just a trial but what everybody knows is that it's not a trial, it's the law until they decide to change it. Mm-hmm. And it's just giving them the discretion. It's so we, it's, it's, it's a thinly veiled plot to saying this is our new revenue model. Um, there is a lot of discussions here locally and a lot of revolt here locally. And a lot of people are starting to lead that charge. And so if, if Time Warner has any sense, any sense whatsoever, they'll not let this go any much longer than it needs to. Yeah, it looks like the city of Austin wants to get involved. Apparently, it looks like tonight they're even at their city council meeting or whatever. They're supposed to be bringing this issue up, and they're hoping for a big turnout for it. Because hopefully, yeah. if they get the city behind them, that this plan might not go through. Yeah, there's a there's a streaming uh, info session earlier today about it. I think around noon. I couldn't make it. I had a meeting, but there the, there is a lot of people. Like, like I said, time Austin's very tech savvy, and I haven't heard of one person pro Time Warner since the story leaked. Yeah, I'm sure. But speaking of at least the hope of good things. Apparently, Apple and Stanford are teaming up to release some iPhone development courses on iTunes. So, for those that are yeah. thinking about getting into developing stuff for the iTunes, you're actually going to have some classes to help you along. 
Hopefully the video files are small, so I don't go over my cap. <laughs> yeah. But it, this is uh, this is awesome. I wonder who approached you. Did Apple go to Stanford or Stanford go to Apple for these classes? I don't know. I, I would assume Stanford would be teaching some kind of a class, whether it's an iPhone development or not. I don't know. I'm sure but they would have some kind of like a mobile development class or something like that. But I, I would assume... Didn't... That's some kind of a joint operation would be my guess. I, I don't use iTunes, so do you know, is there something called like an iTunes U or University of Apple or something like that? There's a, some channel where they have classes? Not that I know of. I, I'm, I think there's maybe an educational channel on there because I know there's getting to be a lot of major universities that are putting a lot of their class lectures on iTunes and available for download so I, I would assume there's some kind of an educational section that this is kept in alright I wonder if this is just the first step of teaching mobile, mobile development in a classroom setting Most I know most of the, the program development uh, classes are usually geared towards an opera, uh, a desktop or larger type of model instead of uh, something so constrained as uh, a phone. I know when I did programming, we did microcontrollers, which is ultimately very restrictive. Um, I wonder if this is just a happy medium between those two. Yeah, I don't know. When I was going to school for computer science, it was all desktop stuff, and had I not been forced out of the school, then it would on moved on to web stuff. But as far as I know, there, at the school I was going to, there was no talk of doing stuff for mobile stuff. So I, I don't know if that's different for other schools or not, but from what I've seen, everything pretty much seems to be desktop and internet-based stuff in schools. Yeah. yeah, I think this is actually a bad move for Stanford because the iPhone is such a closed platform that I wouldn't think that someone would actually give classes on it, but maybe this is a way that Stanford said that, hey, we can get some free classes out of, of some more notoriety by associating ourselves with Apple. Maybe we're, we'll be the cool school if we do iPhone development. Or, But I would think they would lean towards something that's more open and more established, dare I say, uh, Windows Mobile. Uh, well, actually, probably Android would probably be the best choice out of all of them, I would think. Yeah, I would agree. Android would actually be the best. But yeah, I think it's about trying to get the cool crowd more than anything, I think. Yeah. I, I think that's just the image that Stanford is trying to portray with this. and I think maybe they're kind of using this as maybe a... Um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Just kind of a PR tool to make themselves seem a little bit more appealing for prospective students yeah free promotion we well, we're talking about it so it's working yeah well apparently it's not all good news for Apple it looks like they're being sued by uh, Elon Microelectronics which is I believe out of Taiwan over some multi-touch patents apparently uh, Elon Microelectronics has a bunch of patents regarding um, touchpads and multi-touch and stuff like that. 
this door. I guess they're the ones that provide the touch pads for a number of models of the EP, the Asus EPC, and I'm sure there's a number of others. But apparently they even won a case against Synaptics against this over this recently. So with a being able to win against somebody like that, they I would say they've got a pretty good shot against Apple over some of this multi-touch stuff. Yeah, I'd say bravo. With Apple beating their chest over multi-touch with other vendors, it's it's good to see that they they are getting a little bit back of what they're dishing out, saying that we are the exclusive blah, 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 multi-touch, blah, 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 podcast, blah, 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 iPod, anything. So they're, they're getting what's coming to them. Yeah, I'm kind of happy to see this because there's... You can. I don't see why Apple should be the only one that gets multi-touch for everything. So I think it would be a whole lot better if all the other platforms had access to it without having to worry about licensing it. So I'm all in favor of this. I'm really kind of curious to see if Palm is actually kind of behind this. Well, I'm not sure if what patents they have. It could be partial patents to multi-touch in which... Palm could have the other one. So just because um, they're suing Apple doesn't mean it's it's going to be free for all once if they do win this case. But hopefully this would mean if if they do settle with Apple, maybe they'll have a, a blanket license that will be cheap enough that anybody can implement so they can still get a little money and everybody else can still, still implement multi-touch. Yeah. Well, if that's the case, then... Palm would be the smart one to be funding all this just so that they may instead of settling continue to take this all the way through court and hopefully get Apple's patents thrown out especially with they, when they have the pre coming out here in what is it June I think it's supposed to come out oh has it actually been announced when the release date is it's, it seems like I had heard not too long ago when it was supposed to come out but I can't think of a the Date, yeah, I think that's still rumor right now. I'm not sure if there's actually been a, a a specific announcement about that. But one thing, other companies that be, should be scared about this is uh, Microsoft, because Windows 7 is going to have touch enable. I don't know if it's multi-touch, but they have their Surface table. Also, Dell has come up with several lines of computers with multi-touch capability, some uh, on the screen. Uh, I know a laptop and then one desktop. The uh, I think the studio... Studio One, I think is what it's called. Um, so, so there's a lot of companies that are going to be having, are planning to have touch enabled. I, if, I wouldn't be surprised if Android didn't, didn't get touched. So I, I wonder if, if this is just, I mean, does this just mean that Apple's the first one on the long list of people that are going to sue? Or, or maybe this will help establish some sort of licensing royalty kind of um agreement that will allow everybody to have touch without worry about being sued. Yeah. Well, hopefully it works out that everybody can get it without being sued, but who knows? I'm kind of curious to see where this goes. Actually, I've got a cousin that is that works in patent law, and I think I may... I meant to... I probably should have asked him before we went over the story to see kind of what he thinks of it. But I'll see if I can maybe get his opinion on it and see what he says but considering where he works I'm not sure how much he'll be able to comment 
because he works for Microsoft. Yeah, so. this is going to be a little uh, complicated because this is not just patent law. This is international part patent law. Yeah. Because I believe because you said that uh, this this company Elan Elan is uh they're Taiwanese. Yeah, yeah, they're out of Taiwan, so I'm not sure how the whole international patent law stuff works. Yeah. But speaking of more bad news for Apple, the iPhone, whatever, apparently the FCC is going is has been asked to investigate from the sounds of it primarily AT&T but I'm sure a little bit Apple too because as I'm sure most people know or at least most people that pay attention to a lot of tech news Skype was released for the iPhone I think was it last week I think I think it was and that yeah it was last week it's already had or or was it earlier this week no it was last week I'm sure okay yeah yeah, I think it was like the f- Monday or Tuesday of last week, and just within like a day or two, it had already had over a million downloads. But apparently, there's there's a group uh, called Free Press, which is apparently a nonpartisan organization concerned with media media reform, that has filed an open letter with the FCC asking to look into this because apparently. The new Skype, it's not allowed to run on AT&T's 3G network, only on Wi-Fi. And apparently they think that they want the FCC to investigate whether that's, whether the, <clears throat> whether or not the restriction is in violation of federal law. This is a very interesting case. Um, and, and I think the iPhone is very revolutionary in the legal space, because I believe a lot of congresspeople or congressmen, uh, in the beginning when the iPhone was released, they wanted to get an iPhone, and they heard about this whole you can't get it unlocked, you can't move to carriers and all this stuff, and and that, I think, spurred a lot of discussion about uh, phone unlocking and, and the exception to the DMCA. And now this, with we're talking about Skype, but this doesn't just open up Skype. If this case is one. Uh, this will open up tethering also to 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 not just Apple and the iPhone, AT and T, but also the Palm Pre is supposed to have tethering. Uh, all the we just we just talked about the Android apps that had tethering that got removed from their the the, the Android store. Uh, this is going to open up everything, and the floodgate's going to open, and this is going to be awesome. AT and T is talking about this will overwhelm their services, but during South by Southwest, I mean, are they going to tell people not to gather because their service went down during South by Southwest? They're just going to need to fix their service. Yeah, this this would certainly open every get every open everything wide open. Because apparently they're looking to for to see whether or not consumers are entitled to run applications and use services of their choice on their phones, just like they are on their desktops, and that's apparently what they're really going after. But AT and T, and they're calling this a an anti-competitive move. Well, AT and T says, I guess they the USA Today are published an article earlier this week or well maybe this was last week from judging from the date of this post but apparently 
they talked with an AT&T executive, Jim Sacconi, maybe? I think that's how his name is pronounced, which said, who says that, app, that AT&T has every right not to promote services of a wireless rival, and that he, ex, and that he absolutely expects the vendors, in this case Apple, not to facilitate services of our competitors which I assume is why Apple has stayed so quiet on this. They're kind of not saying anything, because they're kind of... They have... They can kind of see both sides of this, because they don't want to piss off AT&T, because they're their only... the only carrier doing the iPhone here in the U.S., whereas at the same time, if this stuff was wide open, that you could have tethering and Skype running on the 3G and stuff... That would be a huge feature for the iPhone. Yeah, but for the rivals, in the sense, uh, AT&T is not really in the VoIP space, at least not for um, soft clients anyway. And if they were in that space, why don't they just provide that functionality natively? Why don't they come up with their own client? Uh, Also, what, what... Also, the... This is looking for a different thing. I mean, if you look at the entirety of this article, that functionality in Skype for the iPhone does not have the ability to do the calls over 3G. That is written into the software. That might be self-censoring, like they could be uh, censoring themselves because they know it wouldn't get approved that way. But either way, I think Skype, in order to have this be a case, they had to have submitted the app enabling it to have calls over 3G, get it rejected, take it out, and then submit it, and then get it accepted to say, hey, they wouldn't take it. Yeah, I'm not sure what level of that has gone on as far as what, how closely they've worked with Apple and what's been rejected and what's acceptable and whatnot, but I would assume this is kind of Apple dictating the terms on behalf of AT&T would be my guess, since they seem to be the gatekeepers for the App Store. I would agree, that, but that's kind of hearsay. If we're talking about a legal argument, we'll, we'll need to have uh, some concrete evidence about how this is AT&T's doing and not Skype saying, well, we just chose it to be that way. Yeah. Because ultimately it's the iPhone and the iPhone Store that prevented Skype from being in that way ultimately it mm-hmm. could have been the AT&T's influence but still I have a Windows mobile phone I can load Skype I can talk over 3G mm-hmm. yeah, my I, carrier is not going to be able to, to stop that yeah and I've got I've even got a Skype client on my Blackberry it's not an official one I think I've never really used it much I would assume I get I don't have to worry about minutes since it would be going over the data connection and whatnot but I think it's like a little $20 app that I've never really bothered to pay for. I've never used it past past its trial. But I, from I, as far as I know of, I don't think there are any other carriers that seem to be having issues with, with this, or at least not that I've heard of anyway. Because Nextel doesn't, has never seemed to bother me about having Skype on my phone. Yeah, and I think this all comes down to build a better network. AT&T have a better product. Get this to work. I mean, didn't is didn't we talk about the netbooks that that are going to have wireless built in that the that they're selling for cheap? 
those yeah. are gonna those could have Skype on them. I don't I haven't heard any restriction on that. And there were those cost just as much as a phone, netbooks anyway. What's the difference? Yeah, I I certainly don't see any. So I don't know, I I think that maybe once we see four G rolled out as to where there's a whole lot more bandwidth and stuff available, I think we may see some of these restrictions start to go away. But as long as the 3G is around and all the current restrictions that it has with it, I I don't see a huge change in the way things are right now. Unless, of course, the FCC yeah, be- gets involved. Yeah, that's because AT&T's lazy. We're on this old network that they're trying to squeak as many nickels and dimes from all their users before they do an upgrade. But this story tells there is a demand for wireless internet access on many different devices. If there's a demand there, there's an opportunity. Charges for it, expand out your network, make it robust, make money off of that. Don't make money off a crappy service. Yeah. Well, speaking of people trying to make money off of old technology and ideas, this, uh, I assume everyone is that's listening to this. I don't know if, how much we've talked about it. I think we've discussed it before. But this is the RIAA case in uh, Massachusetts, I think, that has, or, eh, no, Boston. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Boston, uh, Boston University against Joel Tenenbaum. And apparently now Radiohead is getting in on the act and saying that they're going to. Um, testify against the RIAA in this case. Yeah, this might turn into something bigger of a lawsuit of artists suing the RIAA if this goes any further. If I've seen, you know, shareholders go to board members and saying you aren't representing our interests and oust the whole board. This kind of sounds like it's leaning this way in which the artists are saying, RIAA, you're not representing our interests, and we're going to fight you on it. Yeah, well, apparently, I guess there's nothing completely and totally official, but I guess the radio head manager has given the indication that they're going to testify against the RIAA, because apparently they're them and a number of other well-known artists of whom I'm trying to find apparently they've come together and joined and created a group called the Featured Artists Coalition which is apparently a lobby group aiming to end the extortion-like practices of record labels and so that artists can gain more control over their own work uh, yeah I, I, I'm against stealing personally and um well, especially if you steal and get caught. Uh, <laughs> that, yeah. But uh, I think we all can say that I think this is overwhelming of how much they're using their power to extort people and to try to put the fear of God in them to, to not do what they're doing. And I, I like how this is getting more and more publicity because I still it's I don't think it's mainstream enough. I don't think people that average America knows what's going on with the RIAA. I, I don't see it on the news, ever. Yeah, and I think that's a large part of the problem, is 
once in a once in a great while I'll see a story like in the local newspaper or something like that about some local person that's being sued by the record companies or whatever. But otherwise, you never hear about this stuff in the news. It's never on the nightly news. It's never on Fox News or CNN News or anything else. I, I, I think it's they're trying. They're supposedly trying to get the word out, but it doesn't seem like they're doing a very good job, except with the people of the internet. And all they've done is just piss everybody off. Yeah, the last time I actually saw this in the news was probably when Lars Ulrich of uh, Metallica was doing testifying against uh, P2P. Uh, was it LimeWire? No, it wasn't LimeWire. Uh, uh, Napster. Napster. The Napster case, yeah. Uh, that's the last time that it's actually been sort of kind of on the fringe of mainstream. But mm -hmm. uh, this is still a fight that's going on, and I, uh, more power to Joel. I mean, good job. I, 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 I don't agree condone what he did. But I condone that he's standing up for himself and not laying down and actually fighting. Yeah, I'm kind of curious to see where this story goes because he's got the whole... Mm, uh, I can't remember the university now that he's got behind him. He's I think he said whole, Harvard. Yeah, I think it was Harvard. The, they have the whole... The, legal, the professor of the legal... Uh, curriculum or class or whatever and a number of students that are all helping out on this so if he doesn't win this with that whole army of law students and the professor and everything plus the testimony of Radiohead and everything else I, I don't know what will happen then yeah this is going to be something to watch I hope they stream it last I knew I think they were supposed to or at least they were supposed to stream one of the initial hearings of it or something like that. I don't know if they're going to stream the yeah, entire I think trial. But, yeah, I think you're right. But I hope they still stream the whole entire trial. This is something um, they say the world will watch. Yeah. Yeah, this is... There's a couple of cases that I'm watching real closely. This one and the Pirate Bay trial are, are probably the ones that I'm watching the closest. I can't wait to hear a verdict come back from that, which I I think it's supposed to come out later on this month, in the next couple of weeks, I think, but I'm not positive of that, come to think of it. Uh, no, I well, I think I'm about 90 96% sure that you're right. Yeah. Well, I guess that's a good percentage to be, or at least Microsoft seems to think so, because apparently they're boasting that they have 96% of netbooks running on Windows now. Apparently, a lot of people don't care for the Linux, the small Linux operating systems that come on a number of netbooks, like the APC, some of the older Acer Aspire ones, and I'm not sure what all else has Linux alternatives, but 96% of them apparently now run some form of Windows, most of those being XP. Mine I've seen a, a lot of... Netbooks that have been sold, the configuration may start with a Linux version, but if you want a little bit more RAM or more storage or more options, you have to get Windows. Mm -hmm. It seems like only the cheapest of the cheapest come with Linux, and anything over the bare bones comes with Windows. So I think that's just people just saying, oh, I'll spend 
20 bucks more to get twice as much storage or twice as much RAM. And it, it just comes with Windows. I think that's more of an OEM latching onto it than, than the consumer. Yeah, well, that was kind of my issue when I got my Acer Spire 1 is I really didn't care what operating system it used. If it used, as far as I'm concerned, netbooks are mainly for doing stuff in the cloud, so it doesn't really matter. And I've used Linux a fair bit in the past, so I'm certainly comfortable using it. So, But with the Aspire 1, only some of the older, um, crappier ones were the ones that had Linux on it. Those are the ones that only had like 512 megs of memory and... I think it was like, I don't remember, it was like 8 or 16 gig solid state drives and everything. Whereas the one I got, it's got a 160 gig hard drive, a gig of memory, and a better webcam and a number of other things. And if I could have gotten that, all that same stuff, but with the Linux on it, I, I probably would have considered it. Especially considering the fact that um, when you compare the prices of the... Linux versions to the Windows versions, there's the Linux versions are quite a bit cheaper just because you don't have that um, Windows license fee built into the price. Right, and when, but when you think of an average consumer, uh, Windows has the name recognition. I mean, they're the incumbent, and Linux is the contender. So if they have that name, oh, that's running XP. I run that at home. I can see the draw to that. And with the fear of at least, I'm not sure if it's FUD, but Microsoft says that most Linux netbooks get returned. That's just maybe a hassle that OEMs try to avoid by forcing people towards the, the Windows variant. Yeah, well, I think Linux has a real problem with user experience. I mean, it's great, it's powerful, it can do a lot of things. More stuff than even Windows can do on many occasions. But it's got a real problem with user experience and I think that this is now that they're starting to get more on these netbooks and companies like Dell are starting to sell them on lower end desktops and laptops and stuff like that I think people are really starting to see that there is a major user experience problem with Linux and that's kinda what's keeping them with Windows or some may go to a Mac, but I think that's primarily what's keeping them with Windows, because I, I haven't used Linux a whole lot lately. I've got it installed on my PS3, but I, I've used it off and on quite a bit over the past oh, half dozen years, maybe. But when you're to install applications and do a lot of the things that we kind of take for granted on Windows as being just a couple of clicks, a lot of people don't know how to do it in Linux and don't know uh, what to do. A lot of them, a lot of programs to get them running and comp compile them and whatnot. You're using the command line and having to use all kinds of different commands that most that 99.9% .9 of people aren't gonna know how to use or understand or anything like that. So I, I think until they get even installing programs as simple as what Microsoft does with just a simple little installer that a couple of clicks and it's done, I think that's I think they're gonna have a real problem when it comes to mass adoption. Alright, well they're talking about well HP at least, the the rumor is looking into Android as a possible netbook OS 
for their next generation of, of netbooks. So if that is the case, it would be nice to see if they do address those concerns of, of at least the myth anyway that Linux gets returned and Linux is hard to use. So we'll see if the Android OS can take a foothold and, and maybe take over that market. Yeah, I read something, I think it was maybe yesterday, I think, or maybe it was today, of, I believe it was some head guy at, I think it was Acer, that said pretty much everybody is playing with some kind of a netbook with Android installed on it, and trying to tweak it as to where eventually I can get something out. I know, supposedly, T-Mobile is supposed to be coming out with a Android-based netbook I think next year but I supposedly every according to the guy at uh, Acer pretty much everybody's working on it or at least doing something with it to try and figure out how feasible it is but I, I believe he said that the main problem of putting it on netbooks is that it, there's not a whole lot of all the applications so far that have been done for Android are based on a mobile phone experience and the real problem will be getting desktop or a laptop or whatever experience software on an operating system that wasn't initially thought to be used for that. Yeah. Yeah, but it's good to have another player. It's good to see if this can grow to, to fill that space. I'd, I'd really enjoy that. Yeah, I'm I'm a, I'm really curious to see how it works out. I, I'm sure Android would probably run better than it does on mobile phones, but I'm I'm curious to see just how well it would do on a netbook. I've 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 thought about putting it on my Acer Aspire One, but I'm having a hard time coming across some instructions on how to do that. I've got it so right now. My Aspire One's got XP and Windows Seven on it. But I want. I would like to either get Linux on it or um, Android, if at all possible. Yeah, it's it it's going to be developed, and I I just hope that ninety six percent is staggering. <laughs> I just hope that, that there's more options for people. Yeah. Now I think that's part of the problem. Is this is an early point in the game for netbooks. So the number of options is fairly limited, and and I'll, and if this doesn't change in the fairly near future, I could see another some kind of an antitrust lawsuit or monopoly accusations against Microsoft for their operating system being on netbooks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> But anyway, that's all of our stories for tonight. I think I think this show's running a little bit shorter than usual, which is actually kind of nice. But anyway, um, for those of you that want to read more about the stories that we talked about tonight, the show notes are, and I probably should have mentioned this earlier, at globalgeeknews.com. One quick thing. For those that went to listen to show number 19, our last show on the webpage, I didn't realize until this afternoon, or actually I think it was late this morning, that I actually had the link for um, 
the show being to show 18 instead of show 19. So if you got if you got the show through the RSS feed, you're fine. But if you got it, if you were listening to it through the page or downloading it straight off the page, then you accidentally got show 18 instead of 19. So unless if you manly or manually change the URL yourself, so you may want to re-download that if you got the wrong wrong one. But personally, I recommend just subscribing to the RSS feed, and you always get the right one that way. But anyway, for those that have any comments or suggestions for the show, you can always leave them in the comments section of this particular episode post, or you can shoot me an email at pcnerd37 at globalgeeknews.com, or feel free to message me on Twitter. I am pcnerd37 on Twitter, and FriendFeed, which I now believe has, at least when you're using the beta, I think they have a direct message feature very similar to Twitter now, so that works too, whatever you want to use. But anyway, that's all the places you can find me and where you can send feedback. Where can we find you? You can find me, uh, Wesley83, on Twitter and um, various places, but uh, you can also find me, Wesley Faulkner, on Facebook if you want to follow me there. But uh, Wesley83 on Twitter is probably the best place. Alrighty, and I think that pretty much wraps it up um, let us know what you think of the new format of the show especially those that you of you that have been listening for quite a while I'm doing I'm just kind of doing some changes here and there just see just how much it improves the show and at the same time cuts down on the amount of editing I have to do so I can get the show out sooner so if you could send me some kind of a message I don't care leave it in the comments send me an email send me a Twitter I don't care just let me know what you think of the new format what changes I need to make, what things I should undo. Just anyway, let me know. And that is episode number 20 of the Global Geek News Podcast. Don't forget to check us out at globalgeeknews.com. We'll see you later.